0: I remember when I was a student and I was staying with uh, roommates here in Manchester. I had a friend who now lives in India, and he was much into alcohol. He used to he used to drink, and whenever he gets an opportunity, he used to you know drink with his with his friends, and he would do that. and And I was never into alcohol. That's the surprise story for that. So let's not discuss that. So he said, Michelle, let's let's go and drink," uh, you know, with with the roommates in the living room. I said, uh, "Well." I said, I, I really don't drink. He said, then I asked him, you know, you, know you, you are drinking quite a lot lately, you know, quite a lot you're drinking, and whenever you get a chance, you're drinking, and it's not really a good thing. And I asked him, why do you drink? I mean, I, I know that's a very stupid question, if I could put it. Then he said, you know what? He said it in Telugu. He said, I said, I will get happiness beyond description. That's what it is, and uh, when I when I drink, I, I just it, you know I can forget all my problems, and uh, I, if I drink, I can sleep peacefully. That's what he said to me, and then he stormed off from the room and he started drinking down in the living room, and after maybe an hour or so, I can hear someone crying and wailing, and I said, what's what's really happening there? And I went downstairs in the living room as I asked him, my friend, why are you crying? And then he said, "He said I have lots of problems in my life. My, I have huge loans I have to repay. My sister's not getting married. By the way, getting, getting sisters married is a huge thing in India, and it, o- <laughs> it, it, of, it often falls on the brother's shoulders, so don't get, don't get me wrong on that part. So he's like that, and he said, and I said, that's precisely why you're drinking, right? you wanted to forget all your problems and you wanted to sleep peacefully and that's why you were drinking. You wanted to forget those problems and you sleep. And he said, yeah, that, that was actually the intention, but, uh, and he said, but I'm not able to do that. And he said something very, you know, very important. He said, he said, people don't drink alcohol to forget problems and get happiness, but realize one problems and accept the truth. I said, wow, I wouldn't get that line even from a seasoned philosopher. People don't drink alcohol to forget problems and get happiness. But realize one problem's and act of the truth. I don't know whether he was speaking or the alcohol was speaking, I really don't know. But he said something like, I mean, we all want to be happy, right? Yeah. Everybody wants to be happy. And in fact, there's nothing wrong in being happy. Uh, God created us to be happy and being enjoying in his presence. There's nothing wrong in being happy. I mean, in fact, you know, the, the history of human race, can be considered as a long story of uh, you know quest for happiness. That's basically, everybody wants to be happy. And happiness always remains to be an elusive subject. It's some, something very difficult to find. And it's, it depends on you know, what happens to you, and you cannot control it. I mean, we may be happy now for a moment, and say next time, next moment, somebody says something to you, you'll be offended, and you'll be sad again. I mean, happiness is quite circumstantial in life, and if circumstances are a source of joy, it's ever-changing, and then we have no guarantee whether you'll be happy or not. And that's why there is a, a distinct comparison in the Bible that talks about what is happiness and what is joy. There is, a, there is a difference between happiness and joy, and that's why the Bible uses the word happy only 26 times, but he, it uses the word joyful or rejoicing about 330 times. So you can see how distinct it is to be happy and joyful. I mean, according to psychology, uh, joy and happiness are wonderful feelings, and wonderful feelings to experience, but are very different. Joy is more consistent, and it is cultivated internally. It comes when you make peace with who you are, why you are, And how you are, whereas happiness tends to be externally triggered by the circumstances, and it's based on the people, things, place, thoughts, events. And because of this, for joy is more beneficial in life as it is less transition, transitory than happiness, and it is not tied to external circumstances. I think it's very important. That's. There is is a distinct difference between being joyful and happiness. And as we continue, as I said in the the beginning, as we continue to look into this series of Inside Out Worship, and today we'll look at one of the emotions that as humans we all go through, and that's delighting. The word delight has many synonyms, like there's, there's, it's called called pleasure, you can call happiness, joy, glee. And there are many Bible verses that does talk about delight. And Tom decided that we're going to, del- we're going to you know look into the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, uh, please open it to the book of Psalms. And I don't have an NIV, so that's what I'm using my phone for. Uh, so Psalms, chapter 16, starting from verse 1. Psalms chapter 16, starting from verse 1, I'll read it. It says, I'm using the NIV. It says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely, I have delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord, with him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also rests secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And the last verse, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There are many Bible verses about being joyful in the Lord, being delightful in the Lord. But here, David, if you see the verse 1 itself, David says, Keep me safe, my God. Preserve me. I put my trust in you. I put my confidence in you. It seems like David wrote this uh, psalms from the time of trouble that he had because he asked for preservation, right? He said, Lord, preserve me, and that he would be moved, and he had some kind of confidence in him. But if you look at the tone of the, of the entire psalms, it's not out of despair or complaint, but it's out of joy. It's about a settled joy that he had despite all his troubles David had the confidence in praising God. That's what the Psalms talk about. He says, yes, Lord, I preserve me. But if you look at the entire Psalms, he talks about the word delight, comes like twice in in that that chapter. The first thing that I'm going to talk about is, where do you find joy? That's what the, the Psalms talk about here. And David talks about two precise things here. He said, joy is found among godly people, among the saints, and and joy is found in God's presence. Verse 3, he says, David explicitly says, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David is saying that I find delight among godly people. I find delight among people who worship the same God. I mean, this this, this is such a great thing, isn't it? I mean... A lot, many times, we don't delight in Christians because we try and I mean, there's, there's so much of negativity around that we we forget to look for any good thing in their lives. We always like, uh you know, we, we always come up with news or you you hear you hear from the grapevine or whatever it is that I you know something, something. I really don't think he, I know he claims to be a Christian. She claims to be a Christian, but I don't think something would exist in him or her. I mean, that's an obvious uh, uh, you know failing in a lot of Christians, but. I mean, to be honest, if, if you and I were to take that into a, in, a, in a practical sense, I mean, how can you measure your relationship with God? I mean, the only way that I can measure my relationship with God is, do you love other Christians? Do you, do you enjoy their fellowship? Do you enjoy their company? Do you enjoy them? I mean, I, I know a lot of people say, you know, I have, I have a church friends. I have other friends. I know how people do. <laughs> you know, church friends are, sorry to use the word, boring. Church fans always talk about God, Jesus. I mean, it, it's, it's always a misconception that Christians are boring. It's not. God never you know created us to be boring. But maybe people find that. I really don't know. But I think the point David was trying to make is, I delight in their presence. I'm happy to be surrounded by people who worship the same God. I mean, it's a very practical thing. As I said, do you really find... I mean, this is a simple test that you can put into to yourself is that... What is it that stopping me from having a fellowship with people who are Christians or, or the people who worship the same God I worship? What is it? Boyce writes out, he says, Those who love God will love the company of those who also love him. Those who love God, love the Lord, will love the company of those who also love him. When Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? We all know it. He said, Love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And they are not two separate commandments, if you were, if I were to ask me, they are interlinked to each other. If you love God, you'll definitely love your neighbor. They're not two separate commandments, it's one commandment by itself. You see, if you love God, you'll definitely love your neighbor. I remember what a pastor once said it so beautifully. He said, We shall think about this commandment like, like the cross. You know, the cross has a vertical thing and a horizontal thing, right? If your, if your vertical relationship is good, then your horizontal relationship will also be good. So what he's trying to say is that if your relationship with God is good, your relationship with your fellow beings will also be good. I think that's a really wonderful way to put it. In the verse 11, the second part of it, David says he delights in the presence of God. For, and that pleasure is forevermore. It's forevermore. It's perpetual. We all have experienced pleasure and joy in our lives. I mean, pleasure, I mean, as Michel Coist, Mikhail Koist, he says, pleasure is defined as the happiness of the body, and the joy is that of the soul. We can't be content with pleasures because it will never, ever, ever satisfy us. And... Mikhail Koesti continues to write, he, says, he writes, the pleasure of the moment begins to wither almost as soon as it blossoms. Our pleasures are soon swallowed up in the times, up in the times relentless torrent. But David here he says, God, in your presence I have pleasures forevermore. It will continue on for eternity. And he says, Lord, I find that pleasure in your presence. In your presence that I have that continual pleasures that will go on for a while. Spend time, that's what the whole point is. Spend time in fellowship with people who love to spend time with God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in God's word. In God's presence, there is pleasures forevermore. And I think it's very important as Christians, if we want to reach out I mean, I always feel that if you want to reach out to people about the same joy that you have it, I think you always have to have that the smile on your face. You know, that's, that's very, very important. I, I know that there's a story about this man who has this long face, and he went to another man and he said, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And that man looked up to him, no, I have enough problems in my life. <laughs> Yeah. I mean it's it's always good to have that cheerful feeling that joy has to come into your face every day when you come to church. I know that I know we early in the morning people are tired people maybe you know maybe didn't have a good sleep or whatever it is but every time you meet just just have that you know the bright smile that you, when you meet other people that there's something you know something in you that that's that's different that's always different. I remember in my in my workplace every time people see me we said why are you happy all the time? So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for so many reasons, definitely. I'm happy for so many reasons, definitely. I mean, the, the, the first thing that I'm happy about is I'm just able to relive this day, just get up in the morning. I think that's, that makes me happy. Why not? Yeah, you know, are you not happy about that? Yes, we are happy. Bright sunshine, and that, that makes me happy. That's absolutely fine. The pleasure has to be seen in our face. That's what the first point is. David says he delights in the presence of his fellow believers in fellow Christians among the saints, and he delights in the presence of God. And that that joy has to be visible in our faces. The second thing that I'm going to talk about is if you have a joy of God in your life, it transcends all your circumstances of life, whatever the circumstances are. Joy in the Lord transcends our circumstances. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. I mean, the book of Habakkuk is is a very small book. It's about three chapters. And if you look at the the entire, uh, what do you call, the summary of that book, it's filled with comfort for people who suffer unjustly and for those who have trouble finding meaning in life. Not only does the prophet Habakkuk uh, questions God, if you see those first three chapters, the the conversation goes something like this: something like this: Habakkuk questions God, God answers him. Habakkuk questions God and God answers him. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a good dialogue that you think, if you can call it. And God answers Habakkuk in, in, in such a way to convince that God is still faithful in, in those tough times. God is still faithful, God is still powerful. Chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, the book of Habakkuk. It says, it's such a beautiful verse. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the wines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Here Habakkuk is reflecting about the Times of hardships that people will have. But yet he's saying, he's imagining a hypothetical situation. Even if there is no figs in the fig tree, there are no olives on the olive, on the olive I mean olive branches. There are, there's no cattle, there's no sheep. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk is insisting that he will take joy in the Lord because of the salvation that he has. What a great thing, right? He's taking the joy of the Lord because of the salvation that he has in him. Max Lucado, he writes an interesting story. And it's called "The Eye of the Strong." It tells the stories talked about the bird owner, a small bird owner who has a very small and a beautiful bird that sings every day. Uh, f- every day, the, the bird sings for him. And one day, was uh, that man was cleaning the the cage and uh, with a vacuum cleaner, and suddenly the 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 bird gets sucked up into the vacuum cleaner, and suddenly he just stopped the vacuum cleaner and, and removed, and, and the bird was lying in the dust, and it was trying, difficult to breathe. And that man wanted to give a quick shower, but he, because the bird was shivering, he said, let me give a hot, I mean, uh, a hot blow dryer. And he did that, and instantly the bird got you know uh, better. And then and after a s- few days, uh, a friend called that man and said, how's the bird doing now? And he said, the bird is not singing now. The bird is not singing. All it does is stare, looks and stares at me. I mean, sometimes we lose our joy because of some problems in our life, isn't it? I mean, it's very obvious. It's very, very obvious. It's a very common emotion that a lot of people go through. We want to be happy, but circumstances don't allow us to be happy. There are some circumstances that's beyond our control. And you, would, you know, these are the things that will stop us from being happy and joyful. But Habakkuk is saying that it doesn't matter whatever the situations are, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, but I still, I will find joy in the Lord because of one small thing, which is a huge thing for me, and that is salvation in the Lord. Paul writes in Philippians 4.4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Paul is making the word sure that rejoice is being iterated to the people of Philippians by saying it again, rejoice in the Lord, and I say again, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, the book of Philippians, in in fact, it was written while Paul was in the prison. Chapter 1, verse 13, it says. (laughs) He was in the prison. It's, It's challenging to see that Paul wrote so much about joy while he was in that prison. It's so, I mean, it's, it's one thing to preach about joy when you're in, 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 in good circumstances, and it's other thing to preach about joy or talk about joy when you're in going through tough situations. The Bible talks about the situations where Paul was in the prison. And in those days, we don't know, I mean, whether it was a house arrest or a prison, we don't know. And the Roman prisons were all dark dungeons with, with rats and insects and hard flow, you have to, with limited food, and imagine Paul is, and, and is actually telling the, Philipp, the church of Philippines that you have to rejoice, you have to rejoice in the Lord. Paul's words is teaching us for, for all the Christians that we can have joy irrespective of the circumstances. That is the mind of Christ, attitude of Christ. Jesus spoke about the joy, right? On the night he was about to crucify, John 15 and 16, it says, he told his disciples, these things... I have spoken unto you that your joy may be full. No man can take away the joy. I want to give you my joy. He knew that he was going to be falsely accused, he was going to be crucified, but yet he had the joy. Paul said, I want to be joy. I mean that's that's a great thing to be honest to be joyful in the presence of the Lord irrespective of the circumstance. And, I, and as, as I said in, in, earlier, that it's very difficult sometimes to be happy at all times, but it's such a great encouragement for, for all of us to be joyful in the presence of the Lord. I mean, I know situations don't work the way that you want us to work, but it's so humbling experience. It's so motivating to see Paul and even Jesus Christ to the point of joy. I remember this incident about maybe eight years ago, it happened in, in my city. There was this group of engineering students, about maybe 30 or 35 students. They went to one of the northern states in, 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 in India, in, in Himachal Pradesh, for, for an industrial tour as a part of their engineering uh, curriculum. And they went there, and they finished their industrial tour, and then on the way back to back to my city, they they, they went to a small river called Bias and... Uh, and everybody, because it's a river, and everybody started taking some pictures and having a one fun time in in, in that river. And suddenly the, the officials there they knew that they there were kids on the river and there was a dam upstream to that to that river, and they opened the gates of that dam. And the the current of the water was so strong that people, the students didn't have enough time to think. And about out of the 30 students, 24 of them literally got swayed up by the water and and even literally till now, there are many bodies that were not retrieved because of that. 24 students out of 30 students in a class, they died on that day. And that, that incident really, really shook me. And I, I was following the news, and there was this one student whose name was Devashis, and uh, he would said that he actually he saw that current of water, and he actually rescued about three of his friends, and in that process, he died. And I remember that, that boy, that boy's body was retrieved after like maybe three or four days and he died and his body was flown back to the, the city that I live in. And I remember his father was standing next to his coffin and he said, I'm really proud about my son because he saved about three lives. And I remember he said that he, while, he was, while he was lifting his coffins, the son's coffin, he said, he said these words, he says, God is good all the time. And I, and, I, and I thought about the audacity this man had to say God is good all the time while he's carrying his son's coffee. It was truly commendable. It was truly, truly commendable. I said, I know the circumstances are like there. There is no there is that. There's nothing good in that, at all. But yet, he said. And he said. He also said because of the goodness of God, he was able to rescue his friends. I said, God is good all the time. I mean as I said it's it's very difficult but I think we need to ask God for his grace to to overcome the situations that we have in our lives to to say in every situation that yes Lord you are you are good you are good The third thing that I'm going to talk about is if you have the joy in the Lord it will fuel your Christian life it acts as a fuel for your Christian life and for all the sacrifices that you want to make there's there's this uh, there's a story about Jesus and Zacchaeus, yeah? Everybody knows this story, Zacchaeus. And I remember Abigail singing this, story, singing this song, Zacchaeus was a little man. He climbed a sycamore tree. <laughs> and it's, it's wonderful. I mean, there are, there, are, there are a lot of, I mean, there's so much of good lesson to learn that the first thing is Zacchaeus was, had so much of passion to look at Jesus. He's like, who is this man? I want to look at him. I, I, want, I want to actually look at him. But in fact, it was the other way around. Jesus wanted to look for Zacchaeus, actually. It was actually the other way around. It's like a lot of people feel that I'm actually going to church because I want to meet the Lord, but it's actually the other way around. God wants to see you, and that's why you want to come to church. And here he is, and, and, and Jesus looked at him and says, "Hey Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. Let's have a, I'll I'll eat at your house." And everybody around him were like, "Hey, what's happening? This man, this is he's a tax man. Nobody loves tax people." Mike. <laughs> right <clears throat> well Mike works in the tax department by the way so, <laughs> so nobody likes the tax man right and, and here and people they, oh, in those times it was legitimate by the way to, to rob the money so nobody was like ah, how can God Jesus go to such, such man's house he's a sinner and this man Zacchaeus was, it, himself was surprised to f- hear the fact that Jesus is saying I'm coming to your house I am actually coming to your house. And without saying anything, the moment he said, Jesus said, I'm going to come to your house, he said, let me make a confession. I will pay back all the people that I've I've, I've, I've looted and I'll pay four times for the people I've cheated. Jesus didn't say anything to him. The moment God comes into your life, he had that a God can come to a house of a sinner itself is a huge deal for me. God coming to my, my heart itself is a huge deal for me. For a sinner like me, because Zacchaeus had that, that realization that he was no good. And that's why he said, I will, I will do that sacrifice because God forgave me. Imagine you're in, in front of the court and, and the judge pronounces you not guilty. It's, it's, it's that kind of scenario. Because he had the joy, he was able to do the sacrifice that he made in giving that money. And there's another instance where a rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what should I do to inherit a life? And Jesus said, you're to do follow all the commandments. He said, I followed all the commandments. And Jesus said, then go and sell your positions. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus, you asked for a seriously big sacrifice. I can't make it. There's another uh, beautiful parable in Matthew 13, 44. Let's read that, okay? Matthew The book of Matthew, 13 and 44. Right. The book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. He, he gave all his positions away to buy that one field. That is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this primary, uh, this, this parable talks about Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross and gave up everything for, to redeem you and me. Are you willing to buy the kingdom of heaven? For any cost you have, you, you can see about. I mean, that's what it is. When, when you have joy in, in, in your Christian life, it will fuel. I mean, you have joy. You, it, it acts as a fuel for your Christian life, and you're ready to make any sacrifices. That's very... I mean, I, I see a lot of people in every Sunday here. I, I really... And I can say it with all assurance that everyone who's working, they do it with happiness, with joy. Because they have the joy, and that's why they're happy to sacrifice their, you know, the, whatever they wanted. I mean, the church itself, right? The church by itself. You look at the, you know, the church. It gives us a lot of opportunities, right? To, to offer yourself, offer yourself in, in the creche services, offer yourself in in the kitchen services, offer yourself in Sunday schools, offer yourself, you know, you, you it, in all different aspects. You can offer your time to the to the church. You can offer your 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 talents to the church in your worship team. You offer your treasures to the church. Like give big opportunities, we all have these opportunities where you're sacrificing something that you have and that gives the joy. That gives the joy. Joy has to be awakened by continual giving but this demands self-forgetfulness and ultimately it demands a death to self. I'll say that again. Joy has to be awakened by continual giving. But this demands self-forgetfulness, ultimately demands a death to self. God, G- God and Jesus Christ gave himself to us. And that's why Jesus says that if you want to follow me, bear that cross. Bearing the cross is just not about wearing a cross in your, in, in, in your, as a chain, but it's all about bearing or you have to deny yourself, denying yourself day in, day out. The life of God is pure joy, precisely because it is pure giving. God is joy, and giving yourself to God, you're giving yourself to joy. I'm going to call the worship team, and then I'm going to end up with one. I think the first thing we all need to have for joy, to have joy in your lives, is is to have a thankful heart. I always feel, I remember a pastor once said, Vishal, the most difficult thing to give God is a thankful heart. Matthew Henry, a Bible scholar in 1700s, wrote a story. He said that after some thieves robbed his uh, his wallet, he said, let me be thankful for the first thing, which is uh, because I was never robbed before. That's the first thing I'm thankful about. The second thing that he's thankful about is, although they took my wallet, but they did not take my life. The third thing he said I'm happy about is because, well, although they took my wallet, but there wasn't much money in that wallet. And the fourth thing that I'm really thankful about is that It is who I was robbed and I didn't rob someone else. I mean, to be honest, I mean, we we have to be really thankful. I know we are in the middle of a, a pandemic. We are in the middle of the worst financial, economic, climate crisis that you can talk about. We are in the middle of a war. I mean, there's so many things to talk about, uh, thank about, and, I, and just to sit in, in, in this church at, the, at this morning time and just look at, looking at everyone, I think we should be thankful for a lot of things. I, I know every day we hear these grim news every day when people say, oh, we're going through some serious financial crisis. I know it is, it is very true, but I think it's all about getting up one more day and say, thankful for the Lord, and say, Lord, thank you for giving one more day in my life and i think that's when you start thanking god i think the joy comes automatically in your in your life's